I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you with my co-host, Will Miles. You can find me at a site, readreaction.com, on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, hey, it's been, it's been a bit. It's been a bit since we gotten together right here on Gators Breakdown. I mean, summertime's got us busy. Uh, I'm one place. we got commitments rolling in left and right, so episodes when I can just get them out of there and – uh, you got baseball, and you know, and, and summertime is just kind of, kind of, kind of catching up with us a little bit. Yeah, man, we're only a couple of months away from the season <laughs> starting. Like we're actually below two months at this point before the season starts. It's it's really sort of crept up on me. Usually by the time by the time July comes around, we're sort of in a slog, and there hasn't been a whole lot of content, and we're sitting there searching for stuff to use, and that sort of stuff has not been the case, especially over the last two or three weeks with this 2024 class. So. Um, you know, obviously the, the read and reaction magazine came out a couple of months ago. Um, we're still selling that, but the, um, sort of recovering from that, we're starting to get some stuff up on the site again <laughs> now. So, uh, from here on out until the end of the season should have some good stuff up there. Hopefully people enjoy it. Yeah. Readreaction.com there. Will and Nick's work. You can find it there. YouTube, all that good stuff as well. Yeah. This episode here, uh, Will mentioned, you know, their preseason magazine. Well, we got the Normal preseason magazines that have been out there for years, Athlon, Lindy's, and uh, you know, not Gator centric like the Read and Reaction preview, but the national look at the college football landscape. We'll get into it like we do every year, right here on Gators Breakdown. Of course, uh, we'll get the opposing coaches' views. Always my favorite part to get into, and uh, we'll not really agreeing with everything those opposing coaches say uh, after I, I send them what they had to say. Uh, so we'll get into that uh, kind of where Florida is peg to finish, uh, order of finish there, uh, and just some more storylines that I picked up on uh, in the preseason magazines, but hey, a lot, lot, lot to get into uh, right there. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button before we get started right here. That's how you can support Gators Breakdown. Leave those comments as well. Uh, another way to support, Gators Breakdown Plus. Link is in the description there to join the, the Discord a really good conversation. A lot of, hey, Bill Sykes has been on there pretty active there recently. So uh, you can go check out some recruiting talk there uh, on, on, on the Discord. Uh, link is in the description to join that. And, of course, as well, some merch. Gators Breakdown merch, a sale going on right now. 20% off for Summer Vibes 20 is the promo code at GatorsBreakdownMerch.com. Link is in the description as well for that. So... All right, well, let's get into it then straight to these 
preseason magazines, and I'll go ahead and pop it up. Order of finish. Hey, look, no surprise. Florida's not going to be picked all that high, of course, coming off the six and seven season last year. But national ranking, uh, some difference going along. Athlon has the Gators 49th in national ranking. Lindy's 32, a bit higher on the Gators. And if you take a look right here, East and West, both magazines. Let's go to the Athlon side first. East, Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, fifth for the Florida Gators, six, Missouri, seven is Vanderbilt, but Lindy's a little bit higher, as I said. Uh, they have Georgia, Tennessee as one, two. They have South Carolina, number three, does Lindy's. Florida, number four, Kentucky, fifth, Missouri, sixth, Vanderbilt, seventh. There are your East order of finish from both magazines and will i mean not much of a surprise uh, of course i think we we, we expect florida uh, to be in this middle grouping right here georgia tennessee of course both magazines i think you're going to see that when SEC media days rolls around as well it's going to be georgia tennessee as your clear one too but then i think you are going to have some some questions some uh you know some observations of there's going to be a pretty Tight grouping of Kentucky, South Carolina, and Florida. And when you look at these rankings, I mean, you know, South Carolina uh, not consistent with where they are at. Florida not consistent where they're at. Kentucky not consistent where they're at between these two magazines of Athlon and Lindy's. Uh, but three, four, five, that's going to be those three teams. Uh, and we'll see where, where, where it shakes out officially. Uh, but no surprise to see Florida in that grouping of South Carolina and Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think – Tennessee clearly had some holes that were covered up by Hinn and Hooker, but those holes that were covered up by Hooker were less significant holes than some of the other teams out there. But look, South Carolina was able to exploit them last year when Spencer Rattler came in and played well. And so that, you know, when you look at the Lindy's rankings where they have South Carolina third and then Athlon where they have them fourth, both in front of Florida what they're really sort of counting on there is that Spencer Rattler is going to play better. He's going to sort of play like he did the last three games of the year rather than he did up until and through the game against Florida last year. Cause it's, it's easy to forget Florida absolutely whipped South Carolina last year. And so the idea that these teams are that far apart, I think is, uh, <laughs> is, is pretty far fetched. I think they're all pretty close. I think you can mm -hmm. pick of them at three, four and five. And that's, I think what you sort of see here with this ranking, the Kentucky one is a little bit flummoxing to me. I mean, you think about all the hype with Will Levis last year, I get, they've got the transfer from NC state, what Leary coming in mm -hmm. at quarterback, but you know, it's not like, I mean, they had a guy who was projected as this high draft pick and uh, one, he falls in the draft for a lot of different reasons, but one of it was his play on the field. But it's not like their defense was just like lights out last year at all. Kentucky had a lot of holes too. So you figure, you know, if, if you're a Florida fan and you're looking at glasses half full, you're saying, all right, Joe Milton is a major step back from from Hendon Hooker. You're also looking at it and saying, okay, do I think Spencer Rattler is going to be able to going to be able to continue things? Kentucky, especially because you get him early in the year, is 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 Leary going to be ready and is that defense going to be ready? There's an opportunity maybe to get into that two spot. Now, obviously, Georgia, I think, is the class of the East. Everybody agrees with that. But you know, they've had a lot of off-season stuff going on over there as well. <laughs> a lot of a lot of unflattering articles coming out in the Atlanta Journal Constitution this offseason, along with the fact that they're they're 
they're they're switching to a new quarterback. And as much as we used to like to make fun of Stetson Bennett, the reality is, is he won in the national championship game two years ago, and he's a big reason why they repeated last year too. It's hard to replace that kind of a quarterback. And so I'm not expecting Georgia to fall from number one. But at the same time, I think we'll see a lot more close calls. I think we'll see them come a little bit closer to the pack. But like, I, it's hard to argue with this just because of where things finished last year. But the idea that you know the these preseason magazines, when they pick where the teams finish, tend to pick kind of pretty close to what you saw the year before. You actually see that when you look over in the West as well. Yeah, of course. You go back to a year ago, and I think it was Georgia first. I think Florida was second. <laughs> and then we'll see how up ended it got. You know, Tennessee wasn't getting the love that they were getting this year and all that. So, you know, there are going to be some teams that probably uh, come up and, and, and bite and surprise there. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Kentucky with, with, with Leary coming in uh, and Cohen coming back as the OC, of course. And they're bringing him back after the, the one year going back to the NFL. Uh, we'll see how that kind of changes some things as well. You mentioned everything about South Carolina. I still wonder about their skill players. Uh, there, I mean, Spencer Rattler, yeah, he he can be good, uh, but skill player talent there, uh, I still wonder about South Carolina. Uh, but you know, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Missouri getting some love, but not really uh, here in this order, order of finish. I know some people were picking them maybe to be the sleeper team uh, of the East there, Vanderbilt. Even though get that win over Kentucky last year, getting that win over Florida last year, uh, still being picked to be in the cellar of the SEC East. And let's move to the other side over here on the West and. Maybe, maybe surprise, Will. Maybe not. I mean, Alabama picked first in both. LSU wins the West last year. They're picked second. You know, could there be more of a question of swipping, uh, swapping LSU and Alabama? Uh, and then do you start getting into some difference right here? Athlon has Texas A&M pegged third while they're fifth in Lindy's. Ole Miss getting a little bit of love in Lindy's when they're, they're third there. Uh, Arkansas fourth on Lindy's, but they're fifth in Athlon. And they switched their sixth and seven as well. Athlon has Mississippi State sixth, Auburn seventh. Lindy's has Hugh Freeze uh, not finishing dead last in the in the West in his first season. Of course, Auburn at six and Lindy's in seven there at Mississippi State. But yeah, uh, Willie, I, I guess you're kind of maybe even just asking your opinion and what what do you think? What would you have an issue if LSU was picked above Alabama? Would you go Alabama over LSU? I mean, uh, LSU's got the quarterback situation a little more solidified than Alabama has, but we know the way uh, Alabama's recruited. We know Nick Saban and, and, and him leading the charge there. I'm not saying I have I, – I, I would have Alabama over LSU as well, but I wouldn't have been surprised to see one of these have LSU over Alabama. Yeah, I mean, this comes back to if you're betting and you've got Alabama versus the field. (laughs) Like, I think we might take the field this year. But if you told me Alabama versus LSU, who's going to win the West? I'm like, that's a sucker's bet to take LSU. (laughs) Because for a lot of different reasons. But one of the things, and I think we saw this with Arkansas last year. It's one of the reasons why Arkansas is picked fifth and then fourth by Athlos and Lindy's is KJ Jefferson's a really good quarterback when he's on the field. And Jaden Daniels last year did not get nicked up, did not get injured, but he's a running quarterback. And that running, he was really kind of average or below average through the air. It was the running ability, not just the escape ability, but also his ability to put together games where he ran for 50, 60, 70, or 100 yards that really differentiated him at quarterback. But he's not a real big dude. And so it's only going to take one hit. Right. And all of a sudden, the fact that they've been running him, and then they got what, Nussmeyer's kid coming in to back him up? I, I think. I think there are some issues there when you start talking about 
the guy behind the guy. And Alabama, you don't have to worry about that, right? Now, it may be that the new starter that they plug in um, for Bryce Young isn't, isn't great. But if that guy goes down, you still have the Alabama offensive line, the Alabama running game, and the Alabama defense to sort of support a new player who's breaking his way in. So and I think, and I I get, think they'll be probably leaning on the run game a little bit more this year anyway. Well, I mean, geez, they've recruited like 17 <laughs> five-star running backs the last two years. Like, I think 12 of them have been from the state of Florida. So, um, yes, they should be able to rely on the running game. It's just like every year, right? Alabama's going to have guys who we go, wow, we hadn't heard of that guy. And look, he's going for 95 yards. And, you know, we're going to see that. I don't suspect Alabama's offense is going to take a major step back. The question will be the same question that you're going to run into with Georgia, which is, when you get in a situation, so last year when Georgia got down to Missouri, when they came out and didn't play well, and Stetson Bennett didn't play well against Missouri, but you're down by, I think they were down by like 9 or 10 points, uh, maybe, maybe even like 12 or 13, heading into the fourth quarter, and then Bennett leads them back. And that experience that Bennett had and the ability to put the ball in Bennett's hands is one of the reasons why Georgia wins that game. In fact, probably the main reason Georgia wins that game. Um you know that that's going to be the question this year for both Georgia and Alabama. When that happens, when there's the one game where you know you have the, you know where where you're everything's against you. It's like it's like you're playing Madden and you know you fumble every time and you know the computer's like trying to make you lose when you're going for an undefeated season. Um, you know. You have to have the quarterback who can step up and make the play. And that's where I think if Alabama gets in that situation, maybe they're at a disadvantage. If Georgia gets in that situation, they're at a disadvantage. But the reality is that's probably only going to happen to them once or twice throughout the year. And so the other teams in the SEC are going to have to make them pay when those opportunities arise. I think I'm actually more interested in that Ole Miss, Arkansas, Texas A&M, yeah. um, where they have three, four, five. Because, you know, you got A&M third. That's a lot of faith in Jimbo. Um you know, and then you got Old Miss fourth and Arkansas fifth. Again, if Jefferson stays healthy, he's probably the best quarterback in the West. He might even be the best quarterback in the SEC when you really look at his numbers. He's really effective through the air, and he adds the running component. He just wasn't able to stay healthy the whole year last year. And I look at Texas A&M, and I go, you know, whoa. Yeah, you got Bobby Petrino. I guess that's a Bobby Petrino pick there at offensive coordinator. I, now that Jimbo's like sort of Connor, giving up the reins. Yeah. And I don't like Connor Wegman at quarterback. That probably was a little more solidified this year with him. I mean, he's a decent player, but I didn't look at him last year and go, oh, that guy's a difference maker. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I can remember when Peyton Manning came in for Tennessee and you went, whoa. Like, that's different. And, you know, I can remember when Anthony Richardson a couple of years ago came in for Emory Jones. You went, whoa, like that guy's a difference maker. Now, look, obviously the Richardson the Richardson era at Florida didn't turn out the way we wanted, but I think we all saw that that talent. Wegman is a good player, but I don't. I didn't see, like, a difference-making quarterback. Maybe I'll be wrong, but, um, you know, and maybe Petrino can really put him in situations where he can win, and that's why they're up there. But, you know, this is one of those make-or-break years for – for, for Fisher, right? I mean, he's decided it's time to it's time to turn over the offensive reins to Petrino. But Petrino is also one of those guys who has like no scruples. So if halfway through the year everything's struggling, especially if the defense at AM struggles at all, it's like, well, let's just let Petrino be the coach. Jimbo, go go, we'll put you out to pasture. Like you can I just, you can I, I just want to know, kind of going to your point there, you know, they got that Miami game early, but that's just one game I'm picking out because it's a big name opponent or whatever. But I mean, it's fourth quarter. There's four minutes left in the game. Say it's tied, it's close. I mean, J- Jimbo, Jimbo, going to trust Petrino? I mean, that that's where I'm at with this. I'm, it's very interesting. Like, I'm I'm higher on Texas A&M this year. Uh, I, I expect them to bounce back somewhat. I, I don't think they're a challenge for the West, but that dynamic there 
really interests me. You know, in the early season game, or uh, any point, any point in the season, there's four minutes left in the game. It's a tight game. It's going to happen. There's going to be some point in the season that happens. How does Jimbo play that? Uh, they just have to make sure neither one of them ends up on a motorcycle, and they'll probably end up okay <laughs> this year. But, uh, you know, I, I look, I think the reality is, is every year you're going to pick Alabama to win the West. Yeah. And until somebody proves otherwise, you're going to pick Georgia to win the East. Um, not a surprise that either one of those guys are there. I think the interesting part is in both divisions that the three, four, and five spots, like you can make an argument for any of the teams to be in those three, four, and five spots. And so if you're going to look at it and say, what would a best case scenario for Florida be? It would be getting that third spot, maybe sneaking into the second spot if somebody really falls apart, right? I mean, there's there's obviously, look, Tennessee was seven and six two years ago, and then they won a bunch of close games. So if they lose the game to, um, you know, if they lose that game to Alabama, that's a walk-off, how, how does that end up affecting their season? They had a couple other close ones too. They obviously got blown out by South Carolina. So you start almost, almost, almost inexcusably let Florida come back and beat them. I mean, so is it really an eight and four team that happened to be ten and two because they got they had a quarterback who could cover up some deficiencies? Well, look, I mean, Joe Milton's okay, but he's not he's not hitting Hooker, and Hooker had done it when he was at Virginia Tech, and then kind of took a step forward in his second year at Tennessee. But he had been a very very good quarterback for years at that point heading in. Joe Milton hasn't shown that yet, so you know I. You could end up where you've got a quarterback battle going on. You got I'm Oliva coming in there to Tennessee, five star recruit. All of a sudden, you get the pressure on Milton. You lose a game early, especially if you lose the game to Florida early. Um, you know what does that do to the overall program? Does Heupel decide to make some changes because it's time to see what he's got? Some of these younger guys, like you can see, there is a scenario where. Like George is the only team in the East that I look at and say they've got stability. Everybody else, and you, you even mentioned Missouri with Drinkwitz. Like I'm not real impressed by him, but still, at the same time, like would I be surprised if they beat out Kentucky? No. Would I be surprised if they beat out South Carolina? Not really. But also, you know, we're going to talk, I'm sure, about the level of talent at Florida, mm-hmm. and there's nobody in here, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri, or Vanderbilt, that I look at and go, they've got significantly more talent than the Gators. Now, you might say they have more experience. You might say that they have more on-field production, but I don't think you're going to say they have more talent. And so, you know, anywhere between two and six mm-hmm. is probably a spot for Florida this year, and, um, you know, a lot of that's going to come down to Napier and his coaches. Oh, there you go. That, that, that That's going to be a little uh, hit point for me uh, later on in this episode. But, uh, well, something I kind of we just glossed over here as we were looking at this order finish. I did have the national ranking right here, too, as well. Athlon, 49 for the Gators. Lindy's, 32. So not too far out of the top 25 uh, right there for, for Lindy's. Like I said, a bit higher on the Gators, uh, more so than Athlon. I believe Athlon had Gators, 49. They had Missouri, 50. So that's how close they see Florida and Missouri uh, right here for, for, for Athlon. So Look, part of that schedule uh, for Florida because they did have Florida going five and seven, but still with a better SEC record than Missouri. They have Florida going five and seven, Will. Uh, Athlon did with a three and five SEC record. They have Missouri um, you know, behind Florida, even with that three and five <laughs> record there. So, you know, they're counting on Florida to lose that game versus Utah and Florida State, of course, at a conference to really hurt the Gators. Uh, when it's all said and done. So that's why they got the Gators right there in that 40 knot spot. Lindley's 32nd. So, you know, uh, not the, not, not the 32nd spot. I mean, that's about right to me. Uh, no, right outside the top 25. Uh, as you said, I do think there's, uh, still, when you look at Florida, recruiting hasn't been excellent, but has it been you know, in, in the celery? They're at least good enough 
to, as you said, when you compare it to other teams in the SEC East, where they're still above a lot of those teams right there. So um, kind of differing perspectives there from, from the two preseason magazines as far as Florida overall. Lindy's 32, Athlon 49. I mean, I get where they're at. They're they're looking at it and they're saying Florida's offense is going to take a step back. And you know, I understand why they do that when you look at Graham Mertz and what he did at Wisconsin. And you know, one of the things I thought was really interesting when I looked back at the 2022 season for the SEC in our preseason magazine was that, based on my statistic, yards above replacement, it's a statistic I've developed to measure quarterback play. No quarter. There were there was no team that had a quarterback who was below average in that in that yard statistic, who had a winning SEC record. So if you expect Graham Mertz to be below average, then you probably should pick Florida to go three and five in the conference. Um, if you expect him to be right at average, probably four and four. If he's a little bit above average, they'll probably be able to get to five and three, and you know that's going to determine whether they're second or fifth in in the SEC or in the SEC East. But it's all going to come down to Mertz at the end of the day. The defense is going to improve. The defense can't be as bad as it was last year, I don't think. And and so the defense is going to improve somewhat. But it's not going to be some lockdown defense that we're talking about. Like, oh, look, they're in the top 10. Like, they can hold anybody down. I don't think yeah. anybody expects that to happen. Which means you're going to have to have an effective offense. The offense is going to have to move the ball. And based on what Graham Mertz has done so far, there's not a huge track record for that. And so I get why people would have him in that space. So, you know, look, I mean, if they end up 7-6 and six, – then yeah, thirty second somewhere in that twenty five to thirty two range is going to look look good. If they end up six and seven, I think somewhere in the thirty five to forty five range probably probably looks right, right. So um, a lot of it's just going to sort of depend on on one or two games for Mertz. He's either going to have to play over his head or um, he's going to have to be consistently above average for the entire year. And I think that's where the concern comes in for most Florida fans. Yeah, plenty to get in. Plenty more to get in on Graham Mertz, the quarterback, too, uh, from these magazines. A very interesting ranking uh, for Graham Mertz that we'll get into here in just a second. But first, well, my favorite part uh, of this, I have, uh, you know, I don't hide this every year about the, the excitement of what the opposing coaches uh, anonymously think about their uh, fellow conference members here in the SEC. So hey, let's get straight to the Athlon portion first. There's a Summary I'll throw up right there on the YouTube version, uh, but I'll read the whole thing for you right here. Quote, this season is going to test a lot of people's patience. Head coach Billy Napier was never going to be Steve Spurrier, and he inherited probably the least talented overall roster in 20-some-odd years at Florida. There's a reason they ran off Dan Mullen. You're welcome. And it wasn't about his record. The lack of winning on those top guys in recruiting is starting to show up on the field. It could really be trial by fire for defensive coordinator Austin Armstrong with that schedule because this is such a far cry from the level of defensive talent they had with Will Muschamp. They have some depth at running back. You can see where Napier wants to build along that plan and schedule he had at Louisiana. But are people going to be patient enough for that? The bottom line is that the roster doesn't look like it's from the state of Florida, and you can't fix that in two off-seasons when you play in the SEC. I'll go straight to Lindy's as well. I think we'll, we'll combine these. So let's go to Lindy's summary right there on YouTube podcast version. I'll read you the whole thing. Opposing coaches view right here from Lindy's quote. This is a big year for Billy Napier. It was kind of embarrassing to have a talented quarterback like Anthony Richardson and have a losing record. They had a lot of guys drafted, but they didn't play consistently well the whole year. They would flash and fail, flash and fail, 
He needs to get things turned around and show progress. Another quote here, just I'm assuming is a different opposing coach. I don't see a lot of super talented guys on the roster. Richardson was a freak show, but he didn't play like a freak show, except in spurts. On my word, it's hard to evaluate their talent. The reason being recruiting was so abysmal before Napier got there. And then he lost really good players that were recruited from the top shelf. So there's a void there. That's not Napier's fault, but it's going to be his fault if he doesn't win. So we'll, overall, they will agree with us that there's not the talent that we expect to have at Florida. There was a serious recruiting issue under Dan Mullen, and we were criticized almost that whole <laughs> that whole tenure will. But you know, I, I think you, you see it. It won out in the end. You're not going to beat Georgia. You're not going to beat Alabama. You might get close. You might beat them once out of every few years, but you're not going to consistently be a player in the SEC with that type of talent. So you make a change. You bring in Billy Napier. You start now. You're seeing the recruiting uh, payoff in this 2024 class. Uh, but they, they, there is pretty clear. You know, two out of the three uh, statements here are talking about the lack of talent, the lack of overall talent Billy Napier had to work with when he walked in the door at Florida. Yeah, I mean, I take a little bit of an umbrage at that just because if you look at the overall numbers, you look at the classes, you look at the guys who, who came in during the Jim McElwain era, I think Dan Mullen won with guys who were as you know, who were at the same level of talent, maybe, maybe slightly less than what Billy Napier was given. And Napier may have decided to 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 push some guys out the door. Some guys may have decided not to play for Napier who were more talented. But at the same time, like, you know, he's part of that. And I don't look at this team and go, oh, they don't have talent in different places on the field. I think there's depth problems at certain places on the field. I think, you know, obviously quarterback is a spot you look at and say there's not some clear number one answer there. I mean, heck, I've been chilling for Max Brown now to get, get a look for, for six months. But, you know, guys like ETN and Carroll and Montreal Johnson at running back, those are talented guys. You look at guys like Gene Wilson, Mizell, but even Douglas and Burke at wide receiver along with Ricky Pearsall, like those aren't, that's not like, they're not without talent. Now there's dearth of talent at, at tight end, at least proven talent, but all the guys they brought in through the transfer port on the offensive line, I just look at it and I go, is it like an Alabama or a Georgia squad? Absolutely not, but we knew that. Yeah. Like the question is, can you beat Missouri? Can you beat Kentucky? Can you beat Tennessee? Can you beat Vanderbilt? Obviously, that was a problem last year. And those are the types of things where I just look at it and I go, nah, this team is talented enough to, to beat those teams. And they're going to have to do it. And obviously, Napier's going to have to get it, get, get, get things together to make sure. But the interesting thing is when you look at any first-year coach, I think you could look back, and I hate this excuse most of the time, but I think it's relevant here, which is if you look back at Kirby Smart's first year at Georgia or you look back at Nick Saban's first year at Alabama, you would say they had talented players who flashed and were inconsistent and they didn't quite get the system and all that sort of stuff. So you know, th there's an opportunity here for a jump if, in fact, Napier has the same kind of chops that those guys do in terms of his ability to coach because there's going to be an opportunity for them to take a jump forward just by being more consistent. I mean, the defense was so bad last year. There's no way it can be worse. Like, it just physically can't. Like, it's impossible for them to be statistically worse <laughs> than they were last year. So if they're the equivalent, well, then, yeah, I think you start to see some – some grumblings in the fan base. But if the defense was ranked like 50th this year, so you see him go from like 100th in yards per play and points per allowed to like 50th, and the offense sort of hung around where it was in that 20th to 30th range, that's probably good enough to be a top 25 team. And then you're sitting there going, okay, Napier's done a really awesome job. So 
But again, I, I just, if you're going to evaluate a program, you don't evaluate it based on a year or two years. You evaluate it based on the direction of the program. And that's really the difference when you think about the Florida program right now versus where it was under Dan Mullen. It's not that Dan Mullen didn't bring in great players. He did bring in some very, very good players. It's that Mullen's recruiting wasn't trending anywhere but flat. And so if you were getting whipped by Georgia, that wasn't going to get any better. And if I look at Napier, the 2024 class, along with an increase in that 2023 class from the 2022 class, starts to indicate that we're getting to a point where getting whipped by Georgia is not going to be a constant state of affairs. So the idea that Napier has to win, I think, is a little bit of a misnomer. I think the reality is, is that the fan base should give him patience so long as he's able to continue to reel in recruiting classes that are in the echelon of this 2024 class. The question is going to be, if he struggles on the field, will he be able to continue to reel in those recruiting classes? And that'll be what what ends up determining his fate, the fate of the program, and sort of where Florida's going. So I look at this season and go, yeah, there's probably some talent deficits in certain places. But the talent deficits are against the Georgias and the Alabamas and the Oklahomas yeah. of the world. The talent deficits, they should be able to beat Utah. They're just as talented as that Utah team. And granted, based on what we saw last year, I think maybe Utah's a little bit overrated, especially when you saw them play the Oregon team there towards the end of the year. Cam Rising coming off an ACL injury, you know, this is a pretty rapid turnaround for him. I think there's some opportunities to maybe get out of the gate pretty quickly. Um, yeah, look, I, I think it's entirely possible Florida goes four and eight, but whether Florida goes four and eight or eight and four, I don't think is a reflection on on Napier specifically. But I also think that when you look at the program that he inherited at Louisiana, there was a pretty rapid turnaround there in year two, and so you know there are going to be some expectations for that this year, but. If Florida falls flat on their face this year, I don't think that that's like an indictment of Napier. I think we all along have been saying that you got to get the recruiting up to a level where you need it. You need Napier's guys in there. Now, the good news is all these guys are Napier's guys, right? Mm -hmm. Like the inconsistency because the guys weren't necessarily bought in should be gone because it's basically freshmen, sophomores, and redshirt freshmen at this point <laughs> who are going to be leading the way along with transfers who've come in. So um, I think there's an opportunity here for consistency, even if they're not quite as physically skilled. Because let's be honest, I mean, you, you watch a team like uh, Boston College or NC State or something like that compete on a regular basis week in, week out. Like, it's not because they're the more talented team. It's typically like Duke under David Cutcliffe, like when they were when they were going, what, like seven and five, eight and four. I mean, that wasn't because Duke had more talent. It was because Cutcliffe had a very disciplined team with guys who'd bought into his system. And all of a sudden, they didn't lose to the likes of Syracuse and 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 Boston College and some of the dregs of the ACC. And so that's that's really, I think, what you're looking for this year is does Florida have the buy-in from the players who that'll help them move things forward? Yeah, I think where that goes for me is what margin of error. You know, and we've talked about that before, uh, as far as margin of error goes, and you know what that means uh, for the skater team. And as you said, look, it's not about look. We know they're less talented than Georgia and and LSU in some ways, of course, Alabama uh, at, at the same time. But look, this is where the, the margin of error that you don't have as much to play with here. And what what it means for me is, look, coaching is still going to play a role. Uh, you know, and the talent deficiency doesn't mean a clean pass. You know, but we, we we've what do we do? Will right after the season last year was like, hey, where does this team need to get better? 
all right, well, the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. Okay, yeah, this team needs to get better. That's on Billy Napier. That's not on the. That's not necessarily on the talent. And there's going to be times this season where you know it's a crucial third down call or fourth down call that's going to be on Billy Napier, not necessarily the talent that Florida has. And you know those games against South Carolina and Kentucky and Missouri. You know those are games he's going to have to win. As you said, you're still more talented than those two those teams now. Whether you know, development timeline is in there or experience timeline is in there. Okay. But, you know, I think there's, you know, if he's taking a quote unquote step forward from year one to year two, as far as pure coaching goes, you know, yeah, we know there's not enough. We're not going to blame him for not beating Georgia, you know, no no matter what the uh, situation is, but you know, if there's a consistent losing to, you know, the three, four, five, six teams of the SEC East, then, you know, I'll look past, you know, the talent. Everybody knows I'm, we're not a big fan of overall where the talent was under Dan Mullen, but you know, coaching is still going to play a role. The t- talent deficiency doesn't mean a clean pass. Coaching decisions are going to going to be a big part of this. So I think you know w- when we look at it, yeah, there's not the talent there that's needed. But you know, I think Billy Napier, as and as you said, will you know going into year two and that improvement at Louisiana from year one to year two, you know, the buy-in from the players, the culture you're building. You learning, you know, year one at Florida and applying all that stuff to year two at Florida, you know, the things that he learned uh, that you hope he learned from year one to year two and applying that to some better coaching, some better situational football from the from the sideline as well. You know, while I will agree the talent is not where it should be, the improvement's going to probably for me come more for the coaching on the sideline and Billy Napier's culture development and him improving that. I mean, the reality is, is if they'd have brought in a transfer portal quarterback who was like, you know, who we looked at and said, this guy's got a really good profile, we'd have Florida at eight and four, nine and three, right? The reason we've got him at five and, or the reason people have him at five and seven is because they look at it and they say, we're not sure Mertz is a difference maker. And, yeah. and that's the reality, right? Is that they're looking at it saying, he's not a difference maker. And if you've got the Wisconsin quarterback with the Florida defense from last year, ooh, it's going to get ugly <laughs> really quickly. But again, I think things change, right? Florida opened things up last year because they needed to, but also because they had a quarterback who could. Yeah. And, you know, there are, it, it is interesting. If you go back and watch the Florida State game specifically, there were multiple times where they had opportunities to close that game out and just couldn't do it because there was one guy doing something wrong on defense. And that even stands out even more if you look at the Tennessee game where you know the 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 play where Trey Dean is the one who got ripped and I think it was his coverage but you know the they'd scored a touchdown, they'd get, they'd taken the lead, Keon Zipper had run over like 14 people, Richardson made that unbelievable move in the pocket. One play later, oh look, they're at the 3-yard line because it was an 80-yard pass where they just didn't even guard the tight end coming out of the coming out of the backfield. And Britton Cox missing a sack right before halftime on third down, all that sort of stuff, right? So, so you look at it and and football, especially at the margins, and you you used the word margin. I'm glad you used that. Georgia has a really large margin for error, but most of the teams they play for are going to have very small margins for error, which means if you can put those little edges together over and over and over again, then that gives you an advantage throughout the game. I I thought last year's Texas A&M game, they did a really nice job making adjustments to make um, to to make the Texas A&M quarterback. It wasn't Wegman. It was uh, I can't remember his name. Um, 
but to make him throw outside, they specifically made um, adjustments to make him throw outside, and it and it completely changed the game. So there are opportunities here for Florida to to make some hay. I don't think Florida's going undefeated. I don't think Florida's winning the SEC. I would be surprised if they finish second in the East. But I'm a little bit surprised that everybody just rags on the talent because they're young. But they're a talented group compared to the other teams in the conference. It's just a question of talent and experience. So Phil Steele typically looks at like an experience factor along with the talent to try to predict what's going to happen. So if you wanted to tell me that experience, that they lack experience, Mm -hmm. and that's the reason you're picking them to be five and seven, that one I can buy. But the just they don't have enough talent, and that's why I'm picking them five and seven. Eh, Like I'm not going to buy that. I think Graham Mertz should be able to get them up for the Vanderbilt game. And should be able to play well enough <laughs> that they can win that game. And look, I mean, last year, you can say what you will about Anthony Richardson. And I mean, I've been very complimentary of him in many different ways, but you got to have your team ready to play mm-hmm. when you go out against Vanderbilt. Like, and you can't just take that for granted. And I think the team took it for granted and got hit in the teeth because of it. And, you know, right. by I, mean, the time- I hate to keep going back to it too, but the Kentucky game as well. You can't have that performance versus Utah and then turn around around the next week and have that. Well, I mean, even the Florida State game, he was awesome in the first half, and he was absolutely (laughs) terrible in the second half. All in one game, true. And and so when you've got that Jekyll and Hyde, what do you do as the offensive coordinator? Like third Mm -hmm. and four, what do you call? Right? Like, do you call the little hitch to the tight end? Well, he might throw it 30 feet over his head. Like, I'm not sure what will happen here. That's what the Um, Kentucky game was. I think Napier put so much trust in him. Like, okay, he'll work. He'll get out of it. He'll get out of it. He'll get out of it. And he never got out of it. And maybe well, maybe that's what we're talking about, Mertz. Maybe it's just a little more consistent. At least you, you'll you know how to play call a game because you know what you're going to get. We'll see. Mertz's film oh, is a little bit sketchy. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be bad, and you could be wanting to run the ball 50 times, 55 times a game. <laughs> We're, we're gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna look like a Will Muschamp offense this year, buddy. It's gonna be like just give it to Gillsley and yeah. give him like 420 carries. Like it's, that's kind of what it was. Yeah. I mean, you'll bust a big play to, to make a difference somewhere along the line. But uh, yeah. Hey, if that gets us to 24, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, but yeah, we'll get into more Graham Mertz in just a second, but we'll keep going program wide. Well, I want to see if you want to agree, uh, agree with this. So, Athlon put this, and I'll, this is a little longer excerpt. So, I'll, I'll get the magazine here and, and read it. But they list. Programs under pressure. There's win now pressure building at these five former football factories. Former football factories. Miami, Texas, Texas A&M, Nebraska, and Florida. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
programs under pressure. You know, and I think when you say programs, I won't disagree with it. I do, I do think as a program, you know, Florida is under pressure. That doesn't mean immediate pressure. And they say win now. I don't think Florida's in a win now scenario. Billy Napier's not in a win now scenario. Now, this is Scott Strickland. I do think the program in some ways, uh, you know, they have to hit. They have to nail on Billy Napier for this, you know, the pressure to subside. So I see where they're coming from, but I don't necessarily agree with the win now uh, mentality part of it. But what they say about Florida. The recent theme for the Gators, get a new head coach, start strong, fade away, wince, repeat. Florida won the SEC East in each of Jim McElwain's first two seasons at the helm, but he was out halfway through the third season after a 3-4 and four start to turn into a 4-7 and seven finish under interim coach Randy Shannon. Dan Mullen's first two seasons as the head man in Gainesville were both 10-win campaigns, but he went 8-4 and four in 2020 and was ousted after going 5-6 and six the following season. Billy Napier's tenure began last season with the same 6-7 and seven record from 2021, which might be a positive divergence from that trend, if only because it gives the Gators plenty of room for improvement moving forward. It was a roller coaster year that featured some positive signs, 17-point win at Texas A&M, close losses to rival opponents, Tennessee, LSU, and FSU, uh, and ended with an embarrassing 30-3 loss to Oregon State and Las Vegas Bowl. The rest of the SEC will SEC East will be playing for second place behind back-to-back national champion Georgia for the foreseeable future, but the Gators should at least be able to show some progress this season by getting on the right side of 500. Replacing star quarterback Anthony Richardson would be the biggest challenge on offense, and the defense that's returning just four starters will also be breaking in a new coordinator. Top 15 recruiting class should reload the talent on the roster. Should help reload the talent on the roster. And outside of Tennessee, it should be a wide open race for the second tier of that side of the conference. If they can weather the personnel changes on both sides of the ball, Napier's Gators could get this train back on the tracks. So a lot of what we already said, Will, of you know, behind Georgia, there's some. There, it is wide open right there before the SEC East. Um, that did, in this summary, I thought they did a pretty good job of, uh, of describing the roller coaster of last year, uh, how it did start different for Billy Napier, not getting off to that fast start. There's room for improvement. Uh, we know by now, you know, when this summary was written, of course, Florida's recent track record of recruiting hadn't been, uh, had, hadn't happened yet. So that's going to buy Billy Napier a little bit of time as well. Uh, but kind of going back to my, to, to the original point, I, the, the Scott Strickland, Billy, it's not a win-now mentality, but it is, I I will agree, of a program under pressure. Yeah, I don't know how to take that. I think it's it's interesting when you look at that whole history and you talk about McIlwain and Mullen winning early. Um, But Will Muschamp came in, and he didn't really replicate. He replicated exactly what Urban Meyer had had in his last year, and that wasn't all great great shakes. Um, So I, I... I struggle with the idea that this is some make or break year for, for Napier just because yeah. the recruiting didn't pick up until now. Yep. Right. Like if his recruiting was sitting where it is, if his recruiting right now is sitting where it was last year, I'd be telling you we're, we're doomed. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that's the reality <laughs> of it right now. I'd be telling you we're doomed. And what that means, and I've been saying this over and over again, I don't think people believe me when I say it. It's not that I don't believe in Napier's ability to recruit. It's that you now have to be patient because yes. you've seen a second year of recruiting that does not match Nick Saban 
and did not match the second year of recruiting for Kirby Smart, which means to expect that same meteoric, meteoric uptick is not a realistic expectation given the level of player that he's brought in. Now, you know, obviously Kentucky and Tennessee and South Carolina and Vanderbilt and Missouri, like you got to start seeing progress there. But it's not the same model as the guys who've typically won the SEC. I agree with you completely from a Strickland perspective that he's going to have to see this one through because he's not going to be able to get to pick a new coach <laughs> if Napier doesn't work out, right? Like you can build as many facilities as you want if the football team isn't isn't performing. Um, there's going to be grumbling, and no one's going to care that you made it to the College World Series final, or that the gymnastics team won a national championship if the football team is is five and seven year after year after year. Well, well I, I brought that up with Andy Staples what about a month or so ago. It was like, hey, this it's going to need to be patient anyway just because of this, as you said, cycle of recruiting and the natural progression of recruiting. But Scott Strickland's going to be a little more patient because his job is riding on this. Now, uh, whether the people above him, and this is why, you know, program under pressure, this is why I think that it is true, you know, are the people under above Strickland going to have the same patience well, and, and wait on it because he's going to have the patience because I think his job is is riding on this. So I wrote an article last week that looked at recruiting for for Napier and it wasn't just oh we got a flurry of five or six guys and so we should be happy about it. It was go, looking go at it. go read about it way everybody. It was really good. There you go. But it was <laughs> looking at the first 3 years of everybody who's been a head coach at Florida since Urban Meyer. And what you saw is you saw Urban Meyer started out sort of middle of the pack with his recruiting and then built up, and he's been the best recruiting coach Florida's ever had. But then if you looked at Muschamp, he saw a slight uptick from year one to year two and then went down in year three. McIlwain did the same thing, a slight uptick in year two and then down in year three. Mullen did the same thing, a slight uptick in year two and then down in year three. Napier has had an uptick from year one to year two, and now he's had an uptick from year two to year three. So when you're looking at just progress in general. So I don't agree with the rinse repeat aspect of what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, Florida has had the same thing happen with McIlwain, Muschamp, and, and Mullen, but the same thing isn't happening with Napier, at least not on the recruiting trail. Now, look, you still got to win and you still got to go out there and, and perform and your players still have to be able to buy in and you can't go five and seven in perpetuity. But the idea that like, I just, I think that, I think the Florida fans are smart enough to see what's happening on the recruiting trail and understand that a five and seven season this year is not the end of the world. But I think they're also smart enough to understand that based on some of the issues that Florida's had bringing in quarterback recruits, that this is pretty much DJ Lagway or bust. Yes. Right. Like Lagway is going to have to take over and he's going to have to be good. He's going to have to be good relatively early. And if he's if he's an average SEC quarterback, well, that's probably going to be the time where people start really going the heat's on Billy Napier. But until DJ Lagway takes a snap, I don't think there's any pressure on Billy Napier other than just if he can. I mean, he can prove some things. I don't know that he's necessarily going to not prove things unless just the bottom falls out. I mean, obviously, yeah. if, they go, if he goes one and ten, we're having a different conversation. But you know, five and seven, six and six, you look at it, you go. But DJ Lagway hasn't taken a snap yet. like, And that's where he's going to be evaluated. And so the idea that the program is under pressure, the program will be under pressure next year because there it's going to be, is, the, is Lagway ready? And how do you bring Lagway along? And how do you make sure that you don't put Lagway in a situation that's bad for him when you're feeling the pressure now that's building? So maybe you can and, say... And, and, and to take it even further, Will, with that... 
if the season's not going the way in year three, if the season's not going the way, can you keep recruiting at that high level to keep buying you some time or to keep building upon what you did in 24 class? Well, it's interesting because we've all been, we've all been asking how NIL is going to change recruiting and we're seeing it right now at Miami because <laughs> like, all of a sudden like their recruiting looks eh, pretty middling and Florida state, same thing. Um, so that is one thing that, that Napier is going to have in his, in his, in his quiver of arrows is that compared to the other guys in state, he actually is doing a pretty good job in terms of bringing guys in, in, in the, in the university of Florida. He's also this class in particular is a lot of guys from outside of the state. Yeah, so if he can close with in-state guys, this recruiting class is going to look really, really, really good. Yep. And again, I think, I think there will be some level of patience for that. I don't think though. Now here, here I guess is where I maybe agree a little bit with the assessment is if he can go eight and four this year, then even if they took a step back next year with Lagway at quarterback, mm -hmm. there would be a level of patience because you know, look what he can do with Graham Mertz and his guys. We took a step back because Lagway struggled a little bit, but now we got Lagway coming into a sophomore season and, and we're ready to go. Right? Like I can see that being the argument. If you go four and eight or five and seven this year, and then Lagway struggles next year, well, now the grumblings start to get a little bit louder. So to me, it's not necessarily a patience for this year. It's a can you build equity so that yeah. next year allows you to develop DJ Lagway in a way that makes him an effective quarterback for the program long term. Not everybody comes into a program and is slinging all over the place and is able to immediately be transformational. And Lagway I, has and, a and chance to. And I still think a bridge transfer quarterback is in the cards. So, oh, good God, Ben! I'm, no, start Lagway. <laughs> <laughs> start it, Ben. Like at that point, you're at that oh, point. You're testing my patience. Way. I'm fine either way. I'm just saying. I, I don't. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw that out of the window. I was gonna say this year. You talk about no, this no, year? no, 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 no. I'm saying instead of starting Lagway his freshman year. Now, don't get me wrong. You have to nail it. You have to get a bridge quarterback that's one year, can't miss. You know you're getting somebody. No, I was asking, can you be talking about this year, Dave? Can I? Be? <laughs> yeah, can you be? Like, that'd, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, we're, uh, you know, we're early July here. I don't, I don't think that's in the cards anymore, but. <laughs> oh, hey, that's what Grant Mertz was supposed to be, Will. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> hey, good. That was a good talk, though. You know, uh, program under pressure. I can get it. Immediate pressure, no. Uh, but I do think there, there there is pressure there. I think when you're at Florida, there's always that pressure. When you're not winning, there there is some type of pressure. But you know, you're throwing Florida in a group of Miami, Texas, Texas A&M, Nebraska. Uh, Will and here, here's a little sneak stat about that. These teams' most recent final top five AP ranking: Texas A&M. 2020, COVID year, you know, we, we remember that. Florida had to play in that year. So 2020 for Texas A&M. But, man, besides that, most recent final top five AP ranking for Texas, 2009. For Florida, 2009. Miami, 2003. Nebraska, 1999. So, I mean, you know, these are teams we grew up with dominating college football. Uh, and it has been quite some time since uh, they've been among the nation's best in any consistent manner. Well, so there is something I'll say there, which is that you would have said the exact same thing about Oklahoma right before Bob Stoops took over. Uh -huh. 
you would have said the right. You would have said the exact same thing about Miami before Butch Butch Davis took over. You Georgia. would have said the exact same thing about Georgia before Kirby Smart took over. You would have said the exact same thing about Alabama yep. before before Nick Saban took over. And so there's a trend there. What, what you're saying is it's cyclical. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only is it cyclical, but it's incredibly dependent on the head coach. And that's not a coaching ability statement. It's a recruiting statement. It's a these guys bring in the best of the best of the best, and those guys come in and just whip everybody else. And I'm really looking forward to the Swamp Kings documentary that's going to be coming out on Netflix in a oh. month or so, talking about the talking about the the Urban Meyer era there in Gainesville, the level of talent that you're going to see when they when they show like highlights from practice and those guys competing and all that sort of stuff, I, we're just going to look at it and go, yeah, that's the difference. <laughs> like, like you know, you had guys sitting on the bench who weren't sitting on the bench in the NFL, <laughs> and so when you when you get to that level, like that's the Miami or that's the Alabama level right now, and that's the goal. And and look. Nebraska hasn't had that. Like, named name me the last guy who was a big time NFL prospect who couldn't get on the field, other than Anthony Richardson for whatever reason in Dan Mullins last year when he couldn't get on the field. Like, it's hard to find guys who were in the NFL who didn't play major minutes at some point, like early in their careers, at each of these places, and that's because there wasn't anybody in their way. And so that's the thing to me is that Alabama, you could name a ton of them. Right. I mean, geez, you can name Bryce Young because he had to sit behind Mac Jones, who had to sit behind Tua, who had to sit behind Jalen Hurts. Like, you can just go back and back and back and back and find guys who had to sit for a year or two. Another choice. Kyle Kyle Trask had to sit behind Felipe Franks. Ah, well, there you go. (laughs) There you go. Well, uh, we'll we'll, we'll forget that decision was made. (laughs) That was different. That was different. That was a mess up. You know, that wasn't. uh, that wasn't I don't any, know, man. A lot of the beat writers said Trasky looked really good in all of the camps, yeah. and uh, you know that that was probably a buy-in choice, not a yeah, not, not a not a performance choice. But anyway, <laughs> speaking of quarterbacks, here we go. Um, we'll wrap up the episode here. Impact transfers, quarterbacks. So of course, Graham Mertz transfer from Wisconsin comes into Florida. So. Lindy's National Magazine here lists 15 quarterbacks, Will, as impact transfer quarterbacks. I'm just going to go through the list of all 15. Number one, Sam Hartman from Wake Forest to Notre Dame. Number two, one that should be of note, Devin Leary, NC State to Kentucky. Have him as the second impact transfer at the quarterback position. Number three, Brendan Armstrong from Virginia to NC State. Number four, DJ Uwe from Clemson to Oregon State. Uh, Shadur Sanders, Jackson State to Colorado. Number six, Tanner Mordecai, SMU to Wisconsin. Seven, Cade McNamara, Michigan to Iowa. That's an interesting one there. Uh, Eight, Hudson Card, Texas to Purdue. Number nine, Spencer Sanders, Oklahoma State to Ole Miss. Number 10, notice I said 15. We still have not gotten to Graham Merch yet. Number 10, Kadon Slovis. Pitt to BYU. Number 11, Taylor Buckner, Notre Dame to Alabama. Will prepare your mind to be exploded here. Number 12, JT Daniels, West Virginia to Rice. (laughs) High impact there, buddy. (laughs) Number 12, by the way. Number 13, Bill Yerkovic, Boston College to Pitt. Number 14, remember I said there were 15 of these. Number 14, Sam Jackson, TCU to Cal. 
And the very I don't last, know who that is. <laughs> exactly. And the very last impact transfer for the quarterback spot, Graham Mertz, Wisconsin to Florida. They have Graham Mertz behind JT Daniels from West Virginia to freaking food rice. And I, I, I can't wrap my head around that one. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not the biggest Graham Mertz fan. I've kind of talked myself into a little bit Wisconsin holding him back. But what, still, what does that mean for Florida? That doesn't mean I'm completely sold on him. But to have Graham Mertz behind JT Daniels going from West Virginia to food, I, 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 will, I, I just can't, I cannot wrap my head around that. So I got a few comments here. The JT Daniels one is ridiculous, and I really kind of wish you had had prepared me because then I could have had statistics to back up (laughs) the fact that JT Daniels has sucked everywhere he's gone, and now he's an impact transfer. Um, But Bryce, how is that more? There are two things I think that I want to make from an observation. So there are two things that I want to make in terms of in terms of comments here. One is that. Um, if you have to go in the transfer portal for a quarterback, apparently you're screwed. Like, like, like I'm not sitting here looking at any of these guys going, oh, yeah. The other thing is, Yui Iago you know has a career you know, quarterback rating of staff. 125. The staff felt What's the same that? way, I think. The staff felt the same way, I think, with this transfer portal class. Well, I mean, Yui Iago has a QB rating of 125.1 in his career. Graham Mertz, 127.7. 59.8% completions for Yui Agalai, 59.5 for Graham Mertz. Now, if Graham Mertz plays like Yui Agalai, we're still probably screwed because Yui Agalai hadn't been that great. But the idea that you're sitting there, like, that's really what we're mincing, you know, we're, we're, we're making judgments on the difference between those guys who essentially have the exact same statistical profile. Like Yui Agale is maybe a little bit more mobile, but not really. Like you think of him as being mobile, but he runs so often that it's really not that efficient when he does. The Clemson and I think offense you're playing, is completely bogged down when he was there. And, and you know, I think you're I mean, playing you say the same thing about the Wisconsin offense. Yeah, and I think you're playing a little bit better talent in the Big Ten than you are the ACC overall. Yeah, well, what I will say is that Yui Agale had better talent around him no, than very Graham Mertz did, yes. right? So, like, from the standpoint of, like, are you playing a team – like, when you're playing Iowa, are they more gifted than when you're playing Notre Dame or more gifted than when you're playing Florida State? Maybe, maybe not, right? I mean, those are pretty close. But I think what you can say is that the guys who are blocking up front and the guys at wide receiver and Will Shipley at running back and all those sorts of guys are far more gifted than the guys that Graham Mertz had. So now you're actually starting to get me on the Mertz train a little bit here, Davey, just you know, talking about uh, comparing, you know, talk, comparing. comparing to all those things. Now, <laughs> I mean, look, I think there's two things. One, the Florida fan base is pretty rabid, so putting Mertz 15th behind JT Daniels does sort of <laughs> tweak the base, the fan base a little bit. Um, probably get some, uh, get some comments there for, for the magazine. Um, the other thing is I think they're talking about total, total play in general. Look, Devin Leary has been pretty good at NC state. Can he continue that at Kentucky? That's going to be a big question. Um, but you know, the, uh, Nick Newton did a really nice job in 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 our preseason magazine where he looked at all the transfers who had been associated with Florida over like the past five or six years. And it turns out none of them make an impact when they transfer in or when they transfer out. Like Dan Mullen, for all of the warts, got a lot out of the guys that he had transferred into the program. Guys like Van Jefferson and Trevon Grimes 
early Jefferson on. was early an on. yeah early on but I mean even guys like Adam Schuler who came in mm-hmm. and were contributors on the defensive line and one of the reasons why he wasn't able to maintain his success is he just could not continue that right there when Truesdell and, and Daquan Newkirk and Valentino there on the defensive line like they were okay but they weren't impact guys on the defensive line and so things started to fall apart and you know there just was not the ability to bring in guys to the transfer portal to fill all those holes. And I think that's really the story. I think people look at it and say, oh, we need to fill it through the portal. And look, if Florida brought in another quarterback through the transfer portal, I wouldn't be like heartbroken. In fact, I'd probably be pretty excited that they brought in another quarterback through the mm-hmm. transfer portal. But I, I think, you know, we talk about Mertz because we see his Wisconsin profile and we say, all right, well, I don't know that he's necessarily going to be all that great. But you look at Uiago LA and his Clemson profile, and I, I don't know that he's going to be that great. You look at Leary and his NC State profile, and you're like, well, it's a, it's a, it's a big difference to go to the SEC from from throwing in the ACC. And, 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 is, and is, is he supposed to be better than what they were hyping Will Levis up to be the last couple of years? All that stuff. So I would be, I'll be surprised if any of those guys are really, really, really high impact. Maybe you could make a suggestion that Leary is going to win some games for Kentucky and, and they end up a little bit higher. But you're making me feel better about Graham Mertz, except for if we then list the quarterbacks in the SEC, mm-hmm. I start to feel a little bit worse about right. <laughs> Graham Mertz. So it really is sort of a question of its degrees, right? Like if, if you're evaluating Napier and his program and his staff in terms of who were they able to bring in through the transfer portal based on who was available, I think we all looked at Mertz and were like, really? That's it? When, when he came in? But I think when you look at it holistically over all the guys who were available, it's actually not a, you know, it, it, he's a Hartman solid was, option yeah. considering I think Hartman was, was the only one that really, you know, that went into the portal that there was some talk of there might be an interest and he, mm-hmm. you know, being there was the inju- little bit of a you know secret injury and all that kind of stuff happening and or, or, or you know his injury history as well uh, that might be the only other name uh, that I, I agree but uh, Leary you know he's got he, he's got his own injury history there too so the top two you know have some injury scares uh, when you go along uh, the top so yeah I mean and from what I could gather asking around you know Napier also was not too crazy about the quarterback class in the transfer portal you know once. You know, there was the talk of Michael Pratt transferring from Tulane, and that that was probably going to be the guy, but he never officially hopped into the portal. Once that didn't happen, I think you know it was all right. Who do we, who can we get, and who do we think is you know the, the best to get from from the available pool? I just can't believe Billy Napier didn't bring in JT Daniels. I mean, honestly, <laughs> he's such a high impact guy. Should have brought him in to be. I the, mean, he was a Heisman contender at Heisman contender at Georgia. <laughs> I mean, preseason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't be so down on JT Daniels. If he'd have played, they might not have won the national title the last two years. I know, years. exactly. Um, <laughs> come back to Georgia, JT. Like, there's still some playing time. Oh, who was the other kid that they brought in from Wake Forest who was on an automatic um, you know, Heisman contender at Georgia? And never remember? Did he, oh, yeah, did yeah. he uh, decide not to play? Oh, his name escapes me now. All right, hold on. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes, but, this yeah. is... Going to get on my nerves until I find this. So let me do the quick. Uh, well, this should, this should actually probably be a lesson that whenever you bring in a transfer, there you go, Newman. Yeah. yeah. So this should be a lesson to us is that whenever you bring in a transfer quarterback from Wake Forest or NC State, maybe you should take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> and uh, you know, look, I, I think um, I'm not expecting Florida to go ten and two. 
but I'm not expecting them to go five and seven either. And I, I think um, it's interesting to, to put them down there where the magazines have them. And, and I understand how you end up in that place, but it ignores some of the questions yeah. that exist for some of these other programs that in fact, I think you might be more likely to go five and seven next year just because of the brutal schedule that they've got. I mean, geez, could they have given Florida a worse schedule for 2024? Ooh. It's like, it's going to be awesome for fans who get to go and watch a marquee matchup every weekend, but, uh, whew. Oh, you yeah. have it prepared. Yeah, well, yeah, I had it prepared. I still had it in the graphics bank right here from the episode, but yeah, you're right. I mean, we're talking 2023 here and you know what, it, what, what it could be record wise, but, and then maybe trying to build some equity. Well, you might need that equity <laughs> for the 24 season. As you mentioned, home games, LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Miami, Samford, UCF, away, uh, Georgia and Jacksonville, of course, Texas, Mississippi state, Tennessee, FSU. So yeah, you hope 2023, uh, you built some equity there. I mean, look, it's going to be an exciting season, you know, just there's a lot of good games here. Florida's going to be in those games, especially year three, Billy Napier and ETN in his junior year, Shamar James in his junior year, Chris McClellan in his junior year, uh, three years of development along the offensive line there for Florida. You want know, we'll to figure out the quarterback spot, uh, of course, Austin Armstrong probably in his second season as a DC. So it's a lot to be excited about in 2024 that you, know, you hope 23 is just, uh, you know, we, we, we get through 23 where we're somewhat content and we might need that content <laughs> there with that 24 schedule. Dude, you should be in the playoff if you go 10 and 2 against that schedule. Oh, like, that, is, that, yes. is, that is brutal. And that is the first year of the expanded playoff. So if Florida is 10 oh, well, and 2, you yeah. should, the expanded playoff, you should get in 9 and 3. Like that, <laughs> that, that, that schedule is brutal. I mean, Georgia, Texas, Texas AM, LSU, Tennessee, FSU, and Miami. Sanford, like, you know, Sanford is the only in their lower division, of course. But everybody else now, because of UCS moved to the Big 12, everybody. Besides Sanford is a power five opponent. Well, that Sanford game might be a key though, because if Austin Armstrong gives up fifty something points, then he might might have to <laughs> kick him out like we did Grantham. <laughs> that was uh was that the first game without Grantham? Oh my God. It was hideous. Whatever it was, it was Christian, Robin, Christian Robinson's first uh, gig. Yeah, that's you're right. Huh. Rinse repeat. Why would we have ever done that? Like why <laughs> why would we have decided that that was not the brand of football that we wanted to see? <laughs> Can't imagine why. Uh, I said we were done there, but we'll uh, we'll keep it national right just quickly. Um, next time we get together for preseason magazines, we'll go deeper into Florida players. Uh, but in the last national look, top non-conference games. So as down as they think on Florida, uh, now they did say Lindy's does think a little higher on Florida. Uh, top non-conference games, they do have the Gators with two of the top non-conference games in the country. So that would be... Uh, if I wrote it down right, that would be Florida at Utah as a sixth ranked at a conference game and Florida State at Florida, number eight of the top 12 non-conference games. So, you know, they got Florida not ranked. They got Florida, you know, fourth in the, the last game of the year, yeah, fourth in the SEC East, but they still have the Gators in that top 12 of non-conference games for Utah in Florida State. Well, that's definitely two different writers wrote two different sections in the magazine. <laughs> like that's what that is right there. Spoken from experience because that happens sometimes. But um, yeah, to ha like if if you were to try to tell me that the Florida Tennessee and the Florida Utah games were ranked in the top ten, 
Like, okay, I get that. Well, I guess not, those aren't but, non-conference, right? Yeah, right, but, right, right. But but if you tried to tell me, I, I don't know how you get the first game and the last game of the season for a team you're picking to go five and seven. <laughs> That's like this, this is ladies. They, didn't, they didn't give a record. Like I said, they were a little higher on Florida. They did have Florida. What did I say? Thirty two. Well, and then maybe that's also yeah. that they think Utah's going to win the Pac-12 and they think Florida State's going to win the ACC. Good point. Right? So those are big-time non-conference games from the standpoint of you're playing an SEC team, you're trying to get into a playoff, maybe you have one slip-up and that non-conference allows you to come back in and make some sort of make some sort of uh, claims about beating an SEC elite team. I, I don't know. I, I look at – yeah, just – I will uh, – <laughs> I actually agree. I think that Utah game is going to be a really good game. Yeah. I, I think I think people are underselling. I think everyone's penciling that in as a loss. I think that's a mistake because I think they there are do have Florida State winning the ACC. Both magazines, though, by the way, have Florida State winning the ACC. Well, we'll see about that one. I, I got the same comment about Florida State that I did about um, that I did about LSU, which is that they got Jordan Travis took a lot of hits last year and. Th- are has they going to be able to keep has him he healthy? Done his whole career. Yeah. But are they going to be able to keep him healthy? Mm-hmm. And, you know, who's behind him if something happens to him? And this goes back to the stuff we talk about recruiting all the time. If you got somebody behind Jordan Travis, when Jordan Travis goes down, who can at least sort of steady the ship, then okay. I don't, Florida State doesn't have anybody who's proven to be able to do that at this point um, or has even shown the, the proclivity to do that. So if Travis goes down, I think, I think there's not enough talent in the hopper for Florida State. We we're talking about Florida's level of talent. But Florida State's level of talent is lower than Florida's overall when you look at the, look at the rankings the last three or four years. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, uh, the non-conference games are actually what kind of give me hope this year because I think in-conference is going to be rough. I, I think three and five might actually be right for in-conference just because when quarterback play is, like I said, when quarterback plays below average, you usually end up below 500 in-conference. In but I also look at it and I've got, you know, you've got the two cupcake games against what Chattanooga and I can't remember the other one, Eastern, no, that's not, middle, uh, oh, who's the other one? McNeese State, McNeese State and Chattanooga. And then from there, it's the non-conference games on either side. They're going to make or break your season, right? Because you're basically sitting – if you go three and five in conference, you win the two cupcakes, you're five and five, and now it comes back comes down to what do you do against Utah and what do you do against Florida State. So, hey, I've talked myself into it. These are, these are big-time non-conference games because it's going to be make or break for Billy Napier. Yeah, and as you said, season opener? Season finale. I mean, so for, for at least for the Gators there, but uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame, number one, LSU, Florida State's number two for the um, second top non-conference game in the country. By the way, uh, Notre Dame at Clemson is number three. So you got uh, Notre Dame uh, pretty heavy at the front. Texas, Alabama is number four. Uh, I'd have that above Notre Dame and Clemson, but. Uh, USC Notre Dame is uh, five, so yeah. yeah. Florida, Utah, Texas A&M, Miami, Florida State, Florida, BYU, Arkansas, Washington at Michigan State, number 10, Colorado at TCU, uh, and Army, Navy, 12. So there we go. I can't believe a Devin Leary transferring in that Kentucky isn't in that list of those. Yeah, Kentucky, Louisville. I mean, come on. We don't get no love. Um, we don't get no love. <laughs> I don't know. Is, is, is Lamar Jackson there? I'm not interested. Like <laughs> I don't know who Kentucky's other out of conference games are. So, nor do we care. Nor do we care. <laughs> but can I flip to it fast enough to find this out? Or do we care? I don't. I, well, what I mean, got, for the, 
for the Heisman campaign for Leary, I suppose it's. Important. Oh, there we go. Yeah. All right. Now, since I've teased it enough, I guess we got to find it, huh? Yeah, but they, 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 got, they got Louisville, of course, but do they ever play anybody else at a conference? I doubt it. I can't. Then again, if, if 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 you were if you were Stoops, would you play anybody at a conference after having no. to play in this conference? No, no. Um, Ball State. Oh, there Egypt. you go. Hold on, here's our first three games. Wait, yeah, first three games will of the season. Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, at Vandy, and then Florida. That is their schedule before Florida. Well, they should be four zero. Holy moly. Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron at Vandy. I, I'm telling you, whoever 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 bought season tickets for Kentucky needs to ask for a refund or a discount or something. <laughs> That's the home schedule. Yeah, they have Florida and Tennessee at home and Alabama at home. So, okay, they, 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 they do get a rebound. But still, to open up the season, Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron. Jesus. Like, they never yeah. play anybody They never play anybody at a conference. Now, nah, this cool. reminds me. So, Muschamp's first year, I actually went to Lexington to watch Florida play. Yeah. I got a buddy who lives pretty close to there. So, we we drove to his place and then and then drove down together to, to Lexington for the game. And I think Florida was 3-0 going into the game and Kentucky was 3-0 going into the game. And, boy, did all the frat boys talk a bunch of crap as I was walking into the stadium wearing all my Florida gear. They were silent as a mouse on the way out. In fact, <laughs> the only thing I heard from them is a couple of them were yelling, wait till basketball season <laughs> from, the, from the frat houses. Because yeah, Muschamp went in there and put 45 on them. <laughs> we got to get that one back on track. Well, that's that's the only uh, – I, I think that's the only time Muschamp put up 45 points on anybody. After he would go put 13 on the Raging Cajuns. Uh, oh, man. So I'm even going to 24. Oh, this is a, Akron, Ohio, and Murray State. Hey, they just learned by they learned from Kirby Smart how to schedule. This is a – that is – what is going on? Yeah, that is nuts. And then 25, they already have at a conference. Toledo, Eastern Michigan, and Tennessee Tech. Oh, man. This, you can't even you can't even go out here and find anybody. Twenty six is already scheduled. Akron again, Youngstown State, South Alabama to go along with Louisville. This is a joke. Well, the good news is they won't be making the playoff anytime soon. I've went down this rabbit hole of Kentucky's awful out of conference schedule. <laughs> and and so let me ask you this: Given what we know now about where college football has gone. I'm happy that Scott Strickland has put together these home and home games from a fan's perspective, but how screwed has he made the program? Because yeah, none of these out of conference games do anything but but punish you. Like yeah. if we were if we were, we're playing we're Akron and Middle Tennessee yeah. State and and Ball State, we'd be sitting here going eight and five. It's the minimum. <laughs> Instead, would, we're playing Miami and Florida State. Well, that's a good point. Even for this season, what would you what would Florida's record be if they played Georgia's schedule? Uh, you would, you would, com- you, would <laughs> you would completely think about the team different though. I mean, there's a much better chance that team goes nine and three, eight and four with that with that schedule. Sure, sure. but I mean, you know, you still got to beat all the teams in the SEC East, right, which yes, has yes, been yes, a challenge right. for yes, Florida in the past couple of years. Yeah. So you know, look, I, I still think we would look at it and we'd be looking, we'd be hedging and going eh, seven and five, eight and four, or somewhere in that range. But yeah, I mean, look, I I, think I, I, Vegas's win total wouldn't be five and a half. Well, I it will be ironic with all of the I mean, so so Strickland clearly responded to the fact that there were not sellouts mm-hmm. in in the stadium 
and decided to go all in with scheduling these back to backs. You know, we got Notre Dame coming up, Colorado. Um, Colorado with Deion Sanders can be pretty good. You know, you got I think what Arizona State is in there too, mm-hmm. and then you Cal. got yep. and then you got Cal. And you, you had Texas, but I'm sure that's going away now. Well, you? and then and then yeah. Utah, and you know all that stuff. So good on him for for generating interest. I mean, I took my son to the Utah game last year; it was awesome, right? But what does it do overall? Does it help you build the program? And and you know, look, I think you want to be out there and you want to compete and and all that stuff. At the same time. Like the SEC schedule is a gauntlet, and if you if you're tired by the time you get to the end because you've played all those non-conference games, and you're not going to be able to run away from the Florida State game, so that's always going to be there. So then, how do you schedule those things and make sure that you're that you're doing the right thing? And historically, even if you look at like the Urban Meyer years, historically, what they would do is when Florida State was at home, that was when they would pick up the second out of conference game that was a little bit difficult. So like you know, I think it was 2008 they played Miami at home. Mm-hmm. And then they played Florida State on the back end. Okay, that's fine because those were both home games. Um, and they tended to play the cupcake the years they had to play Florida State on the road. Obviously, they're not doing that right now because you had Utah last year and Florida State on the road. And then you got Utah on the road this year and Florida State at home. They're obviously alternating home and away. And then but- next year, UCF and Miami at home, Florida State on the road. Like you said, so so I mean they they've decided to double up on those non conference games. It's interesting because you know I think you and I both come away from this conversation tonight and really sort of overall saying pressure is less on Billy Napier than it is on Scott Strickland when it comes to really executing where this program sits. And it's interesting to me that some of the some of the negotiated uh, schedule that's in place. You know, when we're looking at Kentucky's schedule or looking at Georgia's schedule, I, mean, I looked at Georgia's schedule the day after the national championship game and was just rolling my eyes, going, "Geez, they can just roll the ball out there and and potentially get the national championship," which is, you know, I guess good on them, but you know. It, look, it, it, does, it, it looks, does kind of suck. It looks so bad because they are so good that that's part of it. They did have Oklahoma, but SEC, you know, of course, I don't know why you still couldn't have played that. That makes no sense to me. You can still, you still could have played it. Uh, you find some way. You don't schedule Georgia and Oklahoma early in the SEC rotation then. But uh, uh, make, so, I all, all I know is when they drop one game, I will be leading the charge of Georgia's <laughs> schedule sucks. They shouldn't be in the playoff. <laughs> uh, I'll back up. I'll back up sing a little bit. <laughs> I will. Uh, anything else coming up on reading reaction uh, since uh, getting back in the routine of the of the site? Yeah, so I actually have a, a Utah preview coming up in the next few oh. days. Haven't gotten it up there yet, but uh, but I'm I'm really fascinated by that one. I think that one's really interesting. So uh, some reasons why fans should have some hope going out to going out to Salt Lake, and uh, you know if if you're out there and you were able to finagle enough vacation time to get out there on Thursday, might be some reasons for you to be happy or at least have some hope while you're heading out there. So that'll be up there next week or so. Yeah, well, we'll continue this uh, preseason magazine. I'll have Braden Gall from Athlon on soon. soon. Uh, like I said, we'll we'll go deeper into a lot of the players and all SEC, all that kind of stuff for for the players and around the SEC as well. But well, we did a pretty good zoomed out national look here at, uh, for, for for the Gators and kind of where they're at among the the nation and uh, and around the SEC. But uh, always fun, always fun. Yeah, this is great. I mean, this is the fun part, right? I can remember being a kid, going on vacation, having these magazines. We used to go to Blacksburg all the time. It's my family's from Virginia Tech area. And, you know, you'd go to the bookstore and you'd find the preseason magazines and buy them and take them to the lake house. And all of a sudden you're sitting there reading about what's coming up. Um, 
you know, get your two pages on your favorite team and read about what's coming up. And, you know, this is always just that fun time of year. Like I said, less than two months, man. Yeah. Like it, we, you and I are going to be about as busy as you can be coming up in like four or five weeks. And, uh, you know, SEC this is a fun part days, of the year. Yeah. So. SEC media days around the corner. Uh, that's kind of the kickoff. Florida hits. I mean, look, we're in July. Florida hits fall camp last week of July. So, I mean, we're, we're in a football month. We're in football yeah. month. So get ready, guys. Time to buckle yeah. up the chin straps. Gonna go. We've been uh, we've been talking about what might happen for months now. It's kind of cool to be getting to the place where all of a sudden we'll be able to talk about what happened, and that's yeah. all. That like you know, you and I talk about recruiting. We know it's important. We look at it and and analyze it and stuff like that. We look at the transfer portal, who comes in, all that sort of stuff. But the really fun part, I think, for you and I is analyzing what's happening on the field as it's happening, seeing the games and honestly yeah. the community that comes with watching the game, like the community you've built through Gators breakdown plus the community that we both have through Gators breakdown, like all that, um, you know, really makes it fun once the games start. So, um, you know, nothing beats it, man. It's like Christmas every Saturday once fall starts. Absolutely. We'll talk about that community. Of course, you know, absolutely. Gators breakdown plus link is in the description. We can keep that community going during games out of season, during season, all that good stuff. Link is in the description. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. That'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. You can find Will, readreaction.com, on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. And that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown.